another episode of Nothing But Nets podcast, a Clutch Points pod. I'm your host, Dave Early, here as always with Greg Dennis. Greg, thanks for joining. Glad to be here, Dave. Lot to go over with this team. Let's get after it. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they are both full-time. And I got to tell you, uh, after the last game, they... They, they came out – nobody was really excited because they expected to bounce back against the lowly Detroit Pistons. Um, but it was just – it was just a basketball postgame with Kyrie Irving involved, and I was like – I found joy in that. It was, it was surprising. I didn't have to immediately, uh, you know, start writing about what he said about the vaccine and all that. It was just nice to be back to basketball. So – Long time coming for – Kyrie and the Nets fans uh, to see him at the Barclay. Obviously, it uh, was not his best performance or the team's, but that wasn't the real story uh, on Sunday. Yeah, although it was, it was, it was a big game, and it did have ramifications. But I'm with you. Good to see uh, Kyrie out there. Yeah, well, so let's talk a little bit about that. It was his first game back at Barclays. It was the second night of a back-to-back. It was his first back-to-back of the season, I believe. Um, Could be wrong. Did they have one after Portland? But it was Uh, a quick turnaround. He he said he he landed at 3 a.m. and he stayed up until 6 a.m. He wasn't ready for bed until 6 a.m. And then he had to play the next day at 7.30 in a huge game against the Hornets and LaMelo hit like seven triples in that one. Um, so yeah, it was a big game. They're already back on top of the Hornets in the standing. So like, I don't think they, it really, they really paid for that yet. You know what I mean? Um, right. But yeah, it carried. Although, yeah. Go ahead. The, um, the Hornets are playing really well. They now have the tiebreaker against the Nets. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting because it's it's a huge difference, as we've talked about, nine versus eight, where you need to win two games versus one. And, you know, the other interesting wrinkle is a lot of teams are keeping an eye on the Nets, probably don't want to play in the first round. And so you wonder, I haven't really looked at the Hornets' schedule yet, but if you're, say, Philly, who happens to play the Hornets on Saturday, or Boston, or Miami, and you're playing Charlotte here down the stretch, uh, would you be tempted to, I don't know, maybe not go all out to prevent them from winning that game? Hmm. So sort of like strategize to avoid the net somehow. Yeah. You're, you're kind of hoping that the uh, Hornets are the eighth seed and that the nets uh, as a ninth seed, you know, may, may, maybe they miss the playoffs altogether. They have to play Atlanta where, you know, that's, I don't think anyone would be too excited about that. And then if they win, they would play the winner of the, Hornets, Cleveland, or Hornets, Toronto. So, I mean, at that point, I mean, their odds of making the playoffs, I don't know what they would be, but I'm just thinking it'll be interesting to see how teams play 
the Hornets coming down the stretch? Yeah, I, I think that teams would be likely to, you know, if they're if they have a star who's banged up, like you had James Harden with a hamstring, you might give him the night off if you didn't want to win it. But I think that the, the most of these teams are still in the thick of it for the one seed. And I think that they probably want that right now, thinking that the Nets will wind up a seven. You know, if, if it were to play out right now, they would be, they would have a game against Cleveland, right? And then if they win that, which you assume they'd be favored to, they would get that seven. Uh, that, that's, that's right. And um, should also mention the net schedule down stretch is, I think, relatively soft compared to some of these other teams they're competing with. So the next one's not the most... soft. They got the Bucks coming up. Um, so that one, that one is will be a test game. And you know, the last time they played the Bucks, Kevin Durant was still injured, and Kyrie Irving dropped thirty-eight on the road, and they won. So. Be curious to see that, you know, the Bucks are making a push for the one seed themselves. And right now the one seed kind of looks like a prize for the reasons we mentioned. If you get the one and you have a good chance to avoid the Nets because you think that they would win a game in Cleveland, Cleveland just got a little bit of more bad news. Mobley is going to be out for a few games with an ankle, you know, not a team that is trending in the, the right direction. The Raptors uh, have a chance for the five right now. So yeah, I guess there's just going to be a million changes, so it's hard to say we're going to tank this game on purpose because it's hard to predict what's going to happen. But I guess I think the Nets are going to be the seven right now. I think that is the most likely. Although, you know, uh, I saw I saw a couple of people mention a stat. A little concerning. I think the Nets this season are ten and thirteen when Kyrie Irving plays. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I know we've kind of been waiting for the team to become whole, but we're starting to see somewhat of a sample size. I think that, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, they're scary obviously because they have Duran Irving, but I think that this idea that with like Vegas, I don't know if they still have them as the, as the favorites, but obviously they have. And I don't know. The more we look at that, the more kind of crazy it seems. Yeah, the road would be really, really tough. Let me ask you this. Assuming that they get the seven or the eighth seed, how would you rank their first-round opponents from those top four teams? Like, who would you most want to face and who would you least want to face in order? Um, I wouldn't be scared of Philadelphia. So are they your number one, or you prefer maybe Miami? So, so my options are Miami, Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee. Is yeah. that my are those my options? Yeah. What okay, I think I think I'd prefer to play Philly because I just think that uh, they don't really have anyone to guard Brooklyn's two main guys, and. I think that there's just enough uh, enough going on there with storylines, and I, I think Philly would be a little bit spooked by it. Uh, it doesn't mean that Brooklyn would win, but I, I, I would like their chances. Um, and then second, I would take Miami, and that's a very close second to Philly. I, I 
I'm not totally sure how I feel about those. You could reverse those and that'd be fine with me. And then third, I would take Boston. And that's because I think somewhat influenced by the injury we just heard about with Robert Williams. And then my last choice would be Milwaukee. Yeah, I think that's fair. I could go the other way on Miami and Philly. I think Philly's. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree. And I think Boston would be the second. And I might have had Boston as the first if it wasn't, but I probably would still have the Bucks as my least favorite scenario there. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder like, is, it, is there any chance that the Nets wouldn't go all out um, in a playing scenario for the eighth? If that was the case, you know, if the Bucks were like the two seed, would they not push so hard to be the seven? Would they be more content to play the eighth? I doubt it because it's too risky because then you're in single game elimination. Um, but just some weird and interesting scenarios. Uh, Tim Bontem's just had an article talking about a couple teams who have released incomplete information about whether or not all their players are vaccinated. I think they said the Sixers might have had a player, maybe the Celtics. Um Although Sixers fans have kind of zapped to the situation and determined that it's not a critical player. It was Ben Simmons at one point. We know he got vaccinated before the trade. And then another would be an end of bench player. So who knows if that's Paul Reed or Charles Bassey. Um, but just interesting how that could be, you know, something that comes into play for more than just the Nets. So we've, ta- we've thought about it the most because of Kyrie Irving perhaps not being able to go to Toronto. But now maybe some other teams are wondering who could or couldn't play in a game like that if they met in the first round. Yeah, Toronto may go down in NBA history as having the greatest home court advantage of all time if they're somehow able to play Boston. And like you said, pure speculation, but it's possible one of their one of their big players is not vaccinated. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to play Toronto even with a full team. Uh, because they've been really good lately and they're really well coached and they have a lot of good players, but yeah, you add in this other element of, you know, some teams may not be able to be at full strength and that's just, uh, that's just something no team is going to want to have to face. All right. So let's go down the line here a little bit. Um, we got a couple updates on possible free agency. Kyrie Irving gave fans reason to be excited that he's going to stick around. He doesn't want to leave number seven. That's Kevin Durant. Um, so right now, ballparking what was a foregone conclusion last summer before we knew any of this vaccine stuff, that they were going to offer him a max, and they did. But he wasn't ready to take it. Now they can offer him a four or five-year max. What's your feeling on uh, Kyrie sticking around long term? Yeah, I mean, we've been pretty consistent here that once Harden left, which, by the way, I, I want to remind people, you you ballpark a 40% chance that the three of them would be around next season. So your math seems to have been uh, right on that. But once Harden left, uh, we we were pretty consistent that it was very likely that Kyrie Irving would then stay because losing both guys – just didn't seem like it was comprehensible when you have Kevin Durant at the tail end of his prime. Uh, But as far as Kyrie Irving's statement, I mean, not saying their history will repeat itself, but I'm sure we all remember 
Kyrie Irving taking the mic in Boston and reassuring the fans that he would like to come back if they would have him. And then, you know, at some point that season, it became pretty clear that he had a wandering eye. So I don't put too much stock in in, uh, what he's saying as far as that that means he's definitely going to be back. But I think we've always maintained it's pretty likely. Yeah, I think by that, by as we approached free agency at that point, they didn't seem to like each other as a group. You know, they were taking snipes at each other about like, who's spending too much time on the cell phone in the locker room, Jalen Brown. Um, and this is the opposite. This seems like he and Kevin Durant feel like brothers to me. You know, last, last game after the win, you have both of them at the podium. Um, and you could just kind of see how close they are. And I think this whole ordeal, vaccine saga, brought them even closer somehow. Now that Kyrie's back around the team full-time. Kevin Durant was asked to talk about the Pistons young core. Um, and, you know, very maturely, he, he went on and raved about how, what a good start it is to have a six, seven point guard. Um, Kyrie Irving is like sneaking kisses on a FaceTime under the table at, at the same moment. Um, so I think they're, they're kind of good for each other in, in terms of that stuff. You know, Stephen A. Smith likes to say, you're going to feel like an idiot for leaving Steph Curry. But, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't think he has any regrets teaming up with this guy, Kyrie. Um, and I don't think he has any regrets even after the whole thing played out. You know, he said, like, it's not my place to ask him to get the vaccine. He's got to be delighted now that they're both around full time. So I think it's a completely separate scenario from the Boston thing. I, I agree with you that it, you can never take words so seriously, but I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to get a a five-year max here if he wants one. Totally agree. Um, especially because ever since he became a net in the summer of 2019, he's been amazing when he plays. I mean, that's the, that's the other part of it is like, if you just look at his on-court production, he's probably played the best basketball of his career in, as a net. It's just that he hasn't, played nearly as much as anyone would hope or want but like if you're the front office i don't think you have any reservations about giving him that max contract based on what you've seen on the court and uh, when you add the durant piece and just kind of the context and the time frame of this team's contending window it's uh it just it just wouldn't make any sense for either party to want to separate. I agree. And I think uh, he's, he's only improved his standing in my mind. SNYZ and Begley asked him, how fresh are you at this point of the year compared to a normal season? You know, you've only played, what is it like 19 games, 22 games. Um, where are you? And he didn't answer the question. He said, we're doing all we can. He said, the games are coming fast, which I took to mean, man, I wish I had a few more days. I'm not quite up to like my favorite peak conditioning game speed. Um, but that, that gave me the idea that maybe he's got room to grow in terms of conditioning. You know, he's not in full stride like he hopes to be for the playoffs. So he might be even better by then. They might have a more of a ceiling than some other teams who are getting winded at this point of the year. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um... He's back just in time. 
And uh, like it's, like we said, it's uh, in some ways an advantage that he's probably going to be a little more fresh and probably healthier than a lot of people who just have wear and tear injuries from 82 games. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, also on that free agency tip, rather quickly, um, we have DeAndre uh, Andre Drummond Gate, where, you know, days ago he was like, here's the quote, and if we're all being honest, I'm only here till the rest of the season. So who knows how that's going to happen in the offseason. So they need a guy like Nick Claxton. And so, you know, everyone on the beat took that and talked about it. And, you know, you you look at like his early bird rights and the Nets, if they, you know, they can't sign him to a, a long-term deal, they can only offer him like 120, 175% of his current deal. I forget what it is um, in, if they use those early bird rights or, or whatever it's called. Um so I think that he might be out of their price range and he was essentially saying that, but it's good that you have Nick who you can offer a longer term extension to because of the way his contract is structured. Then he went the other way. And like days later, after he saw all the buzz that he doesn't expect to be back, he was frustrated and he was like, I don't need to clear it up. You know what I said? I said, based off my situation, I'm here for the rest of the season. We all know that. I said, do I know what's going to happen in the summertime? Absolutely not. I can only control what's happening right now. So for you guys to take that first part of my quote is not right. It's not right. It's not cool. So what do you make of that sort of bout face? Uh, it's tough to know what to make of that. I mean, he may have very well have meant what he later explained but it's also possible, you know, maybe his agent or someone in the organization was just like, hey, like, you know, you don't need to say that. <laughs> it's not helping you. It's not helping us. Like, who knows what the future is going to bring? Don't be so sure. Uh, and he just kind of wanted to walk it back. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm open to either of those possibilities. What, what was your read on the situation? I think he very genuinely was saying, I do expect to be gone. I think, you know, I've earned, I've played really, really well and I've earned much more money than I'm making now. And this idea that I'm a vet min guy to play on the Lakers for 2 million bucks to play on the Sixers to back up. I, I've showed by playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that I can ball out and, and double over with 12 and 14, you know? Um, so I, I'm out of this bracket that I've been in the last couple seasons and so they're not going to be able to afford me. I think that's what he meant. And I, I don't really think, I mean, I don't think we, at, I wasn't uh, unfair based on that. I didn't say like, I didn't put any words in his mouth. Uh, I really didn't touch the subject at all, but I guess maybe he read something where someone took it too far. Um, and then he wanted to, yeah, I up, think like, you're probably right. I think you're probably right. Um, before we move on from Drummond, I wanted to ask you, you know, yeah. There's, there's been a lot of talk over the last few years about changing the NBA logo from Jerry West to something a little bit more modern. Kyrie Irving at one point threw out the idea of Kobe Bryant. Um, how would you feel if it was changed to Andre Drummond giving the peace sign to Tyler Hero <laughs> on the fast break? Just sort of that pose with the peace sign out. Would you be would you be okay with that, or do you, do you feel it should be like a nominee or a finalist, or or not necessarily? Yeah, I think if you were, if I was given the chance to vote between 
just keeping Jerry, voting for Kobe or that, uh, I would just be insistent that you you got to get the size discrepancy between him and Hero. <laughs> I it, needs, it needs to that be was... clear that, the, that this guy is 6'10", 280 doing this. Uh, yeah, I think him in a still pose with the peace sign, arm extended, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to top that, no matter what you come up with. That was definitely one of the funner moments of the season. They were all enjoying themselves clearly down in Miami. Um, I think he brought his daughter. I think her name is Aubrey out for the post game, and she she wanted no part of it. Like as soon as she sat there, she was like, "I'm gonna need mommy and auntie." <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And he was like, can, can someone get them for us? But it was adorable. It was fun. I liked that he did it. He said he did it because the Dolphins, he, like, he claimed it was kind of spur in the moment. He was like, I've never done that before. I don't know what brought it on. Um, but maybe because Tyreek Hill was here. Not sure if I believe him. It's hard <laughs> to imagine that just spontaneously happening to your hand in the moment. Oh, wow. That's, but, uh, it, it, I will say it felt pretty spontaneous. Uh, I don't think he thought. You know what? Next time I, I I get into a passing lane and I'm on a fast break and everyone is behind me, I've got this planned. I think I think uh, that was it. it just kind of happened. And also, t- Tyler Hero. You know, I think I think he's one of those guys where it, it's just kind of fun to um, take a dig at him. Like you see him, <laughs> you look back and see his face, and you're like, "Oh, this guy." <laughs> <laughs> so he, you, you pick i still picture the suit he wore to draft day with the sparkling like blue floral right. black exactly. pink. um but he does ha- he has some all-star flashes i think i was reading a jake fisher report talking about will he make something like jalen brown made in terms of an extension or will he just get a full out uh max extension so whether you're taking digs at him or not he's had a pretty good season that he's even in those conversations for that type of money. Yeah, I think he's probably going to get max one way or another. I mean, he's probably like what, like 22 years old. Um, and, you know, he, he might be Miami's best half court offensive player at this point. So, I mean, that says something. Yeah, I think that says problems for him, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Jimmy Butler's awesome. We know he can get to the free throw line, but holy mackerel, can this guy not shoot these days? Um, and I just I couldn't help but think, like, you know, Eric Spolester made the joke, oh, we were just fighting about what's for dinner later. Um, but I couldn't help thinking of the, the James Harden situation. And obviously, Jimmy Butler and James Harden have very different personalities. But as part of what frustrated them and the reactions they had to just not being able to play the way you'd like to play, you know, like one guy reacted this way. You know what I mean? So, so you're wondering if uh, the blow up situation in Miami on Butler's side was just on court stuff that he disagreed with. Is that kind of what you mean? No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting. I'm saying like maybe they were fighting about whether or not someone switched. Maybe they were fighting about, like, you didn't do this, you were expected to do that. But maybe subconsciously, you know, and, and like all the reasons we read for James Harden being frustrated, he believed that Joel Embiid was hungering for a championship and you got Kyrie unvaxxed. But maybe a big part of it was just I'm not personally playing the way I want to be playing. And so now everything around me is more frustrating. 
that makes sense. That, that definitely makes sense. Um, you know, it did feel like it was something that had been brewing for a long time. How long, I don't know. But just the, you know, seeing Spolstra, who's like extremely measured and extremely composed, seeing him uh, basically just completely lose it, knowing he's in public, knowing everything that goes into that guy who's been around that long. Uh, it doesn't, it didn't feel to me like something that had just sort of like sprung up over the last month. It it felt to me like something that had been, you know, sort of like uh, just sort of festering and probably a lot of pent up frustration on, on, for a lot of different people. And that was, that was kind of how it felt to me. So I don't know, because I mean, Butler, for the most part, has been great since he got to Miami. But you're right. He has struggled for whatever reason uh, the last couple months. So it's, it's, uh, it's hard to know what was going on there. It's, I think he's shooting like 9% from three over a certain sample. Um, tr- transitioning to, before we get finish up, transitioning to the rest of the Nets roster, um, Steve Nash has been pretty blunt about injuries lately they're happy where they're at in terms of being healthy and available more so than any point in the year but Seth Curry's going to have to manage this ongoing ankle issue he's going to be sore um the rest of the year pretty much they don't have an opportunity to load manage him they said he's been playing awesome pretty much when he's out there but then he'll have to miss a game or maybe come out of a game because of soreness so and that doesn't sound like it's going away would you would you give him more rest games down the stretch here, or would you kind of play for that seven eight seed to avoid the nine ten? Uh, if I'm if I'm sorry, you mentioned Steph Curry. So who who, who are we trying? Seth. Okay. Did I say Steph? <laughs> that threw me off. Yeah yeah yeah. Sorry that that threw me off because he's out with a foot injury too. So um, okay. So with Seth, yeah, I think I think. Um, I think you're just going for health, honestly, and you just kind of feel like, well, let's let's um, let's just go in with our team um, because I think I think like you said, they're probably going to end up in this seven eight play in, and uh, you know, depending on it, it's an ankle. A lot of times with an ankle, they'll say like, well, you can't make it worse. I don't know. I've always found that to be kind of a weird. Um, diagnosis they but... only ever say that in sports <laughs> <You'll> <laughs> they never, only say that you in will sports. never personally as a non-pro athlete go to a doctor and hear you can't make it worse ever <laughs> no no it, it's it's only in sports where it'll be like well he's he's dealing with a back thing but they say it's a pain tolerance issue i'm like oh this can't doesn't make sound it worse. great <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so uh, yeah i think i think they'll be smart about it if he can play i know he's gonna want to play and he was, he's been great since he got to Brooklyn. Patty Mills, for whatever reason, just retired at all at the all-star break. So <laughs> they, de- they definitely need him back as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, it, it, we, you know, I think at one point when we had, when they just got Seth, we were ballparking closing lineups. I was saying Patty's re- non-reluctance to shoot threes might get him that closing role, but it's not even close. 
No, it hasn't been. It's it's been strange. I, I'm I keep waiting to hear that Patty Mills has some injury that they just haven't disclosed um, because that's that's how it feels. But um, you know, and and that may be that he's just not healthy, and they're not they're not telling us because they really need him right now. But um, who knows? Maybe maybe he can regain his stride. It's been strange how how far he's fallen off. Yeah, it is strange. Uh, he only played in 12 and then 17 minutes in the last couple. So, you know, we know that it was kind of an open thing. Steve Nash admitted that he was fatigued around that three-point shootout. And I maybe they're trying to dial back his minutes heading into the playoffs because they could really use him to get back to playing the type of ball he was playing back in, I don't know, maybe December. Um, and then let's talk about Ben Simmons. No update whatsoever. So uh, Steve Nash was asked the day before yesterday, is he doing anything at all on the court now that we know the epidural has helped reduce some of the pain, some of the pain that might've been going up and down his legs? Uh, the answer was no, he's not doing anything new. Doesn't sound like he's on the court doing individual work. Doesn't sound like he has any timeline to do one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. And we're a couple of weeks from the play-in now. So if you're starting to wonder if you're not going to see this guy at all, it, it's got to feel that's pretty reasonable chance, right? I'm I'm not wondering anymore. I'm okay. I'm I'm just I'm assuming he's he's we're not going to see him this year. Um, I think I I think I had mentioned to you uh, on, on just through a text message that I thought he we weren't going to see him a while back, and, and I I thought then there was a pretty good chance I'd be wrong, but now I think with this latest update from Nash. To me, it just it seems maybe eighty five percent now that he's probably not going to play this year, which I don't know. I mean, that's just a it, it just there's so many questions, right? Like, did the Nets know or think this was possible? Uh, obviously, no. if they no I, way, right? I don't uh, believe so. so. I don't think they would have done the trade if they didn't think he could play this season. Um. I interviewed yeah, I agree. Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report uh, uh, a couple days ago. He said what I was told from someone. Shout out. What I was Go told ahead. from someone familiar with the situation was that the back thing got tweaked during his first times and days on the court with Steve Nash, uh, and that's been consistent with what Sham Strania has said. That's consistent with Woj and the Nets. So I think they mm. did their their due diligence obtaining him in the trade i think they did their due diligence on the mri that you know they knew that he had the nerve impingement dating back to 2020 but he had his best season perhaps to date in 2021 uh, after that issue was in his rear view so it sounds to me like the flare-up did occur as he was ramping up to game speed you know uh, jake made the joke like when you're playing down to christmas in cherry hill new jersey it's a lot different from suddenly ramping up with like nick claxton on a practice court yeah, that's tough. That's tough, especially because the Nets, I mean, they've been pretty bad defensively, and he is exactly what they need right now. So that's just got to be so frustrating for him, for the team, uh, especially you watch them out there. They're trying to fill these, fill these minutes with guys that would probably not be playing for any other team in the league, unfortunately. And those are supposed to be Ben Simmons minutes. So it's uh, just a tough break all around. 
if they let's say they won a round or two and he started saying I was feeling good enough to to try to play, do you think they would say, well, we've already knocked off like the Miami Heat and then the Milwaukee Bucks were so good. Do we really want to risk this? Do we want to risk offsetting our chemistry? I know they've said if he's healthy, we will play him. Um, but it might feel different after you've beaten like what we had considered the best team in the East, right? I agree, but I, I'll go back to what I just mentioned in that I just think he's such a big upgrade over anyone else. Um, you know, and I'm talking about guys like James, James Johnson. Johnson um, I don't know. Uh, Blake Griffin's corpse, whoever <laughs> else they want to throw out there. I just feel like he's one of those guys where you just say like, well, we got to at least see what we got here because this could open up an entirely different dimension. This could raise our ceiling. And even if they get to that third round, you know, you're still looking at having to beat an elite team in the conference finals. And then if they get past that, it's probably your toughest challenge yet if you're playing, say, Phoenix. So I think that I agree. If, if he's healthy, if he gets medical clearance, I mean, that's why you made the trade. You made the trade in part because you're trying to win a title this year. It, it does get a little tight. If you look at, if you pencil in guys like Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton, who are both playing very, very well right now, um, you're looking at one of them and maybe Goran Dragic as who's coming out when he's ready to go. It's, you know, it's not as easy as saying James Johnson, because there's a better than even chance that he's not going to be in the rotation anyway, when they're down to a nine man. So, you know, I, I think they would, I think they would give it a shot, but I think it, it's still a gamble because if you're asking him to take, to eat into Nick Claxton's minutes, that might not be the best thing. Claxton's falling right now, but no, that's true. That's true. I, I think you probably approach it as let's see, let's see if he can start out giving us, you know, eight to 12 minutes and see how he looks. Right. And then you deploy uh, him the not, way we would use the, the backup center. Oh, you've got Aldridge coming back too, man. That, that nine man's going to be pretty tight. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and you, you can just see what you have. I don't think they would feel committed to it if it, if it if he didn't look right or if the team didn't respond to it the right way, so uh, I do I do think if he can play they will. But these are these are problems that the Nets would love to have. I think I think if they're uh, faced with that decision, it means a lot of things have broke well for them. Oh yeah, we're probably in the conference finals at this point, maybe in May, because uh, April's feeling like a long shot for him to play right now. Yeah, I, I've, I've ruled it out, but I hope I'm wrong. All right, Greg, thanks for joining. Uh, if you want to do your patented Brooklyn Brigade chant, Brooklyn. close us out. I know, uh, Brooklyn. I know our listeners look forward to that. Brooklyn. <laughs> do you have any, uh, do you have any mailbag questions? Did we get any, uh, Oh, oh here um, I got, I got one ready. Oh, you got some. Oh, nice. All right. This one is from Martin in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Ready? Yeah. How, how relieved are Nets fans that the Knicks are blowing their draft position, conceding relevance to the Nets for the entire future? <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So um, his okay. angle is, 
the Knicks are not tanking hard enough. Are Nets fans happy mm. about that? Um, I think that really diehard fans who are like in the weeds, they're, they're seeing this and they're happy about it, but they're not surprised because this is, this is what you expect from the Knicks. They, they love drafting between seven and 10. So that's clearly what they're angling for again. <laughs> they find a way. Uh, they've got a stranglehold on that 11th seed. They're, they're clearly determined to hold Washington off from catching them in that 11th seed. And, um, you know, they're competing hard on both ends every night, which is a staple of, of any uh, Tom Thibodeau team. So, you know, it's looking good for another draft pick in the 7th to 10 range which has netted them guys like uh, Frank Nilkina, Kevin Knox, Obi Toppin. And so, you know, you we'll see. We'll see how it plays out this year. It's kind of funny that, you know, after the – I think it was the Heat game, Kevin Durant saw Stephen Bondi from the post, and he was like, you're covering us now? And uh, I think it was Bondi. He was like, the Knicks are irrelevant now. And uh, Durant played dumb. He was like, oh, now they're irrelevant? I thought they were supposed to be the biggest team in New York. Okay. Wow. Welcome to the beat. <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah, you know, the Knicks are looking to bolster their big 15, and Kevin Durant very much enjoys taking shots uh, at the Borough rivalry. Yeah, he's he seems to have had it in for them really since he got to Brooklyn. Probably a lot of reasons for that. But um, Knicks fans revolted. Yeah first and then they kind of like took the stand that this is actually better he's not going to play for a year then Kyrie was out for personal reasons and Knicks fans took this little lap that maybe it was better um they had their big 15 and I think he pays close attention to all that it's tough being a Knicks fan you know RJ Barrett who looks really good but um you know you look at that summer of 2019 where it seemed like so much was going to be determined for them. And they end up with that third pick, one pick behind John Morant. And then you see Kyrie and Durant go to Brooklyn. So now, you know, you, you were one pick behind John Morant and you were one pick behind Steph Curry. I mean, that's improbable. Zion. That's pro. that's probably the, uh, Oh, Steph Curry in 09. Steph Curry in 09, and you're one pick behind John Morant in yeah. 2019. So 10 years apart, similar fate, tough break. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you have <laughs> tremendous empathy for them. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I have empathy. I have empathy for the fans. But, but, um, but not for yeah. them aiming for that 7-10 to 10 pick, which they seem to do. No, I mean, you know, it, it could still work out. You know, if you pick between seven and ten five times, you figure one of those times you're going to get, like, a really good player. Or they could move up to the fourth pick, the third pick, uh, first pick. That's true. I mean, the, the weighted odds this year, um, maybe maybe they're factoring that into this late-season charge. <laughs> it's It just seems like as soon as they were eliminated from even the 10th seed and the play-in, then they went on their little tear. Um, and that doesn't help them necessarily. When you hear Kevin Durant saying, you know, man, Cade Cunningham is already a 6'7 point guard game wrecker. 
uh, you got to feel for Knicks fans who are not at the top of the draft right now looking for their own Kate or Chet or whoever this year's Kate is. I don't know who it is. Yeah, we'll be getting into our uh, draft draft big board as the uh, summer takes gets underway. But thank you for the mailbag question, and we appreciate you listening. And uh, definitely hit us up on Twitter uh, if you have any more questions. Good stuff, Dave. I'll talk to you next week. All right.